each choice we make moves us toward fear or love. On my Life and Laughter podcast, we'll talk about those choices and learn how to attract more love and connection and laughter. This is Perry Kinder. Let's get started. Hey, podcast listeners, thank you for coming back to my Life and Laughter podcast. It is so good to have you join us today. I have an amazing guest. I always have amazing guests. They're always super cool, but I really, I really admire Carla J. She is an author, an award-winning author, and she has, I think she has four, four books now, five books now, something like that. Yes. yes. She's originally from the East Coast. We were just talking about her. Her parents live in the East Co- in upstate New York still, but she makes her home in Salt Lake City. Over the years, she has written in several different genres, but currently is focused on historical fiction. When she's not writing, she's reading, gardening, playing with her dog, or traveling to new places like Spain. She's got back from Spain <laughs> to try to find a new story that has never been told. And welcome, Carla. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for being here. I've wanted to talk to you for so long. You know, you're a best-selling author in Utah. It's like a, and I'm a reader, so it seems like a no-brainer to have you on the show. And you have had such great success with all of your books. Your first one, Speaking in Tongues, super, super hilarious, super funny book. So tell me a little bit about the origin of that. And the main character was a speech therapist, which you also are, have a background in speech therapy. Yes, I am still a speech therapist. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. So um, the book is set in Pennsylvania, northern rural Pennsylvania. I never practiced there. I practiced in Utah, but I had a lot of funny things that happened to me over time. So someone said, you should put these in a book. So I finally fictionalized a book, made a town called Tungsten, Pennsylvania, and thus the title Speaking in Tongues, as the local co- locals called it. But it's a, a humor um, and then there's a second one called Speak of the Devil. And there's a third one that I have not written, but I need to, speaking <laughs> out of turn. I keep hearing, where is that book? Where is that book? Um, but those came out in 2011, 2012, and those were so much fun to write. They were fun to um, read. It was really fun to read those. Oh, good. Yeah. And then you took an abrupt turn, and you've gotten really deep into historical fiction. And not just historical fiction, but tackling really tough subjects. It happened in silences about, you know, the clan, the clan in the early twenties in Georgia. And then you tackle world war two in, in both of your other books, when we were brave and the puppet maker's daughter, what made you turn toward those topics? What was the impetus for that? I, well, I love those. I love historical fiction. Um, and I was reading a lot of historical fiction. I'm just going to say I had to, to my agent for the speaking in tongue series. And after a very expensive legal battle, oh, no. I turned to the dark side and started writing <laughs> darker books that I loved. So um, that was one thing while that lawsuit was going on, I couldn't write any more of the speaking in tongues. Well, I refused to write any more of the speaking in tongue series. And I um, had been to Terrazin when we were brave came out first. And that takes place in Czechoslovakia Um outside of there. And I, my mother-in-law had ridden a train with a lot of German soldiers in America, which I thought she probably was just making up, uh, but it was true. So I put all those stories together and came up with When We Were Brave. And then, yes, uh, it happened in silence, Women of the Klan. I read about that, went, wait a minute. I didn't know women joined the Klan by the millions. And so found enough stories to put together there. And then the puppet maker's daughter, we went to Budapest 
uh, Budapest a few years ago and again found some stories that had not been told. So I say now I'm probably writing about injustice more than anything else. That's, and so Yeah, that's uh, what I get from your books is you're writing about things that unfortunately really resonate today. You know, living especially your your character when when we were brave, the 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 SS officer that deserts. Um you want to hate him because he's an SS officer and they're not known for their kindness. But at the same time, he's trying to do the right thing, even though he's done some horrible things. He's a very gray character, which I thought you portrayed really well. I thought you portrayed the German family living in the United States very well. You know, we don't think about these things happening. What happened to them? I mean, that happened to thousands of people that lived here. They were persecuted and deported and it was just a horrible time. We just kind of literally whitewash our history and we don't, we don't think about those things. And as you write about this, how, what kind of reception do you have from people when you bring these things up? I'd say I'm thrilled that people are very excited to learn about these things we didn't know about. We knew that we rounded up the Japanese Americans. Right. I mean, because there was lots Utah of, here, yeah. But 12,000 German Americans off the East Coast lost everything as well and were put in into concentration camps or internment camps, I should say. Uh, and many, like the character in that book, the family was sent back to Germany while the bombs were falling. And right. so we don't remember those stories, or I didn't even know about those stories. Um, the reception is amazing. People are like, especially the new one, the puppet maker's daughter, um, we don't read a lot about what happened in Hungary. And in Hungary, the war came very late. It came you know, almost like nine months before the war ended. But a lot of really bad things happened. And so um, I'm trying to find stories that haven't been told that I haven't even heard about that um, I can throw myself into. But the reaction from people is that, they, you know, thank you for telling this. We had no idea. And yes, history does seem to repeat itself. Yeah, it's really, really frustrating. You know, you look at these people in these stories and and they're so defined. You write really, really well. And you, you wonder how that pertains to our lives today. You know, would I be brave enough to maybe save a Jewish family, to hide a Jewish family, to help someone escape? And hopefully it never comes to that. You don't, you don't know. You look at the white women in the Klan and it happened in silence. And you see some, a lot of the white Christian right movement having those same kinds of conversations. It's like, how do we learn? How do we learn from history? It's so frustrating. <laughs> I think we have to talk about it, but you're right. I mean, in doing all the research, I hone it down to a book, but there's just so much out there that like the white women clan was all in the name of God and purifying our culture. And unfortunately, we are hearing the same things today. Nationalism has not been a good word for any nation that has chosen to embrace nationalism. Yeah, it never um, ends well. No. And yet we have a large movement going on now and growing, thinking that's the answer. Uh, I'm hoping that by putting things out that people read it and go, oh, yeah, that that didn't work out so well. Um, <laughs> maybe I should change the way I'm thinking. <laughs> wow. Maybe we should embrace everybody. Maybe everybody gets to be here. Anyway, I, uh, <laughs> silly. I, it's a little scary to see it happening again. Right. And how do you find your stories? I know you were just in Spain. You said you were looking for stories. What does that look like to you? What is your what is your process? I, I force everybody who travels with me to do World War II walks. <laughs> Good for you. Here's what we're doing. <laughs> you're going to shut up and you're going to enjoy it. 
yeah, we're going to go see that and we're going to see this. And I'm like in the front of the crowd asking the tour guide all kinds. I'm just like, boom, 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 question, question, question. Well, what about when? And so, yeah, I'm pretty nosy on those talks, but I find that people are really willing to share. Um, I haven't gotten all my stories by traveling, but I did get when we were brave because we went to Czechoslovakia. Um, and then I had to find other stories and, and, you know, Google. So and finding books <laughs> during those times are, are, are really helpful. Obviously I didn't go back to 1921 for it happened in silence, but I bought a few books on women of the clan. And, you know, I read a bunch of things like women who went, who took to the rails, women hobos. I never got to put that into that book, but my head is full of that now. Maybe that'll come up someday. Um, so I do a lot of research. I love the research part. Um, in Spain, I, I, Spain was neutral. So it was a beautiful trip, but I don't think I got a story out of Spain. <laughs> no World War II stories from Spain. No World War II stories from Spain. If I want to go way back to 700 and 1400, yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't tend to write that era. <laughs> yeah, not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Don't say never. So what did it feel like when your book started to win awards? What is that? Oh, my gosh. What is that was, experience like? Yeah. I think I was stunned the first time, like, really? Like, I just won a national award? I mean, there weren't just two books. It was big. Um, so, yeah, that was fun. And now, of course, I continue to hope that happens. I know you're nominated um, for several awards for Puppet Maker's Daughter. I am right now, yeah. And a couple of big ones that I've never gotten before. I'll find out next week about the selfie. I'm self-published. And so mm -hmm. I'll find out next week about the selfie, which is quite big and it will get a lot of um, attention in some big magazines. So I'm excited about that one. Um, my, <laughs> so yeah, you're, I I have to tell a funny story about my dad. My dad read, well, my parents both read speaking in tongues, the speech therapist, crazy things are happening, funny book. I asked my dad what he thought about it. And he said, well, that is the dumbest speech therapist on earth. <laughs> like she kept getting in trouble. I was like, well, that's the point. Anyway, so then when the next book came out and so my mom read it and my mom holds it up for my dad and said, look, Carla wrote another book. And he kind of looks at it for a minute and he looks at me and goes, why? Oh, thanks, dad. <laughs> why? <laughs> so Needless to say, they're they're not my fans, but that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. So when I win something, it's like, oh yeah, well somebody loved it. <laughs> that's uh, lots of people have loved it. I've seen a lot of your reviews on Goodreads, and you have uh, your books are s super high rated and lots of really good reviews. Your your books are really touching people. What does it feel like to know that you're making that kind of um, influence in the literary world right now? Yeah, I couldn't have, um, I couldn't have asked for something better than this. I just wanted people to read my books. Like I wanted to put something together that people enjoyed and said, Hey, that was great. It, it kept me busy, but to have it be, have them all be so well rated is just, oh my gosh, amazing. It's a, it's a writer's dream for sure to have books being touted and someone telling somebody else. And, um, I, I can't be more thrilled. It raises the bar though. Sure. So if I write another, when I write another book, it better be good. Um, so when you hate. finish writing a book, do you think, oh, that's it. I'm not, I'll never write another book again. I, I've tapped it out. I'm done. Absolutely. After when we were brave and it started winning awards, I thought, oh, my goodness, I don't know if I can do that again. <laughs> and then it happened and silence came out and people like that. And it's like, oh, well, maybe I did it one more time. And so then <laughs> Puppet Maker's Daughter's like, OK, I'm getting lucky here. Three books. <laughs> that's pretty <And> so, lucky. <laughs> 
<laughs> but the pre the pressure is always on, which I think is good. I'm a, I'm a perfectionist, and I think it's good to have that pressure to write to and to make sure I'm putting out the best book and not just putting words on a page. Just I I want it to be the best book. Right, and they are they're they're beautiful books. Tell me a little Thank bit you. about why you why you chose to do self publishing. I know it used to have a real stigma, maybe even ten fifteen years ago, and now it's really the only way to go. So how do you get your book out when you're self-publishing? What's your process for getting that done? Uh, I turned to self-publishing. I mentioned that I uh, sued an agent and that did it for me. Um, <laughs> done with the agent I, world. Yes. I, and not all agents are great. I'm not against agents. I think you get an agent and they publish, they help you out. That's so awesome. I had just picked one who who went bad. So, um, like a banana. and it cost me a lot of money to recover from that. Uh, so I won my rights back, but I had an over $40,000 lawsuit that <gasps> came out of pocket. Oh my gosh. So I went, you know what? I can self publish. Yes. I can market myself. So, um, there's a lot of work that goes into it and I don't mind, um, finding the best avenues and you know, you pay for your own cover, you pay for editors, you, you have to do all that, but I, I don't mind that. I like being, having every part of the book. I can go in and drop my book to 99 cents today without anyone's permission and run an ad and then tomorrow put it back to 399. And, and I like having the control. So, uh, Amazon has made it very easy. KDP publishing and to become, you know, to publish your own books. Um, it, the stigma has gone away. Yeah. A lot of big authors have now chosen to be hybrid. They have some books that are self-published now. So thank goodness the sti stigma has gone away. Yeah. But yet 15 years ago, if you said you're self-published, people just assumed you had a book that no one wanted to read. Exactly. No one wanted to publish it. You're no, so, selling yeah. out of your trunk. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. You're going to sell three copies. And so, yeah. <laughs> so what were some of the mental blocks you had to work through when you wrote your first book? I mean, I think just the idea of starting a book and finishing a book is so mentally overwhelming to me. And I'm a writer. I like, I love to write. I love to read. There's a book in me somewhere. I don't know where it is. It might come out <laughs> before I die. It might not. I don't know. But how do you get past those, those mental blocks of, you know, the good enough, the doubt, the fear, to move toward creating what you love? They are there on every book. Even though I've had these books that people love, when I sit down to write, I think, oh, I'm not sure this is even good. Like, <laughs> is this even a story that anyone wants to, to read? But I w did learn, someone said once, write a story that you would want to read. And that really changed it for me. So with speaking in tongues, I'll go back to that. Obviously I'm a speech therapist. I had some quirky stories. Very few of those ended up in the book. I ended up making even quirkier stories for my <laughs> poor main character and put her through the paces. You did. <laughs> but, uh, I, but I would want to read that book. So that was a book I thought, oh, I'm gonna, I will, I'll write a book I wanna read. And so that helped with the process. But also, if you don't have passion for the story you're writing, so these, the darker stories I'm writing now, uh, the historical fictions, I have a deep passion to make sure someone has heard what happened to people, like what they went through. And so there's so many stories that are told. And my goal is always to look for something we haven't heard yet, because I read a ton of historical fiction myself. So I kind of know what's out there. Um, and sometimes someone takes the wind out of my sails because the story has just come out and I've been researching it, but that's fine. It's out there. We want it to be out there. So I think if you have the passion, it moves you through it, but really through the whole process in the first draft, 
you know, I'm going to say it. They say it's the shitty first draft and you need to say, yes, you need to allow that. Like, yes, that's what it is. And now I'm going to go back and clean it up and make it better. And, and that happens every time. Right. I have never had a story end where I thought it was going to end. How interesting. And where I thought it was going to end would have been the dumbest ending on earth. So, <laughs> thank goodness that something took over during the book and said, no, no, we're not doing that. Uh, because they weren't really good endings. But I feel like something came out that worked well. Yeah, absolutely. That's so funny. <laughs> you brought up a shitty first draft. And Anne Lamott is such an inspiration to me. I love her writing. I love her. Yeah. Um, she's just brilliant. She's so dry and so funny. <laughs> who who inspires you? What writers inspire you? Oh my goodness. Um, well, I'm just going to say another book that's good to read if someone's considering writing. It's Stephen King's book on writing. It's called On Writing. It's nonfiction, but he talks about what it takes to write a book and what his what he went through. He didn't just pump out a first great book, and he actually threw his first book in the garbage. Um, <laughs> I think it was Firestarter. His oh, really? wife found it and said, I think it was. Wow. And uh, Tabitha found it. What a great name for I Stephen. Know. King, it is way. a perfect name for his wife. <laughs> uh, she found it in the trash and said, well, this is the best thing you've written. You know, why did you throw this one out? <laughs> um, you should have thrown a lot of other ones out. But his book really lays out. I, I think it's a great book for someone who's wanting to write fiction to read. Because he talks about his trials and what you should be looking at. And you need to write, you know, thousands, tens of thousands of words before you get your voice. That is so true. That if I go back and look at what I wrote 20 years ago, oh, my goodness. Yeah. yeah. It all needs to be rewritten. So it's just that pra it's like practicing anything. You're practicing. You need to just get in there and do it and not quit. And that's what I've heard so many times, too, is just sit down and write anything. You know, just write your yeah. thoughts. Just write describe something, just get, just get into the habit of writing every day until you start, um, start writing. Is that for <laughs> that you? Moment. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, no problem. Like I said, it's been a weird technical month in our podcast, so it's all good. <laughs> I thought I turned it off. <laughs> Probably some publisher calling to publish you for millions of dollars. Oh, I think that's it. I'm just going to uh, ignore it though. Yeah. Just ignore it. You don't need that. So does it, does it get easier? I mean, as you, as you write, it does get easier. Um, I I would say when we were brave had eight drafts. Really. And this last book, Puppet, Puppet Maker's Daughter, probably had three. Wow. Because what I do now, because I've learned what I'm going to cut out. It's like why would I even put that in? I'm just going to cut that out. Like that's just blather. I'm blathering <laughs> on about historical fiction that right. I learned. Oh, people should know about history. <laughs> so you're trying to shove it into and, the book somewhere. Yeah, I've got to shove it in here. This yeah. will be good for four pages. <laughs> and so I've learned to just not do that <laughs> because I'm just going to go back and, you know, and hone it down. So, I, you know, you become a better writer. You know what works and what doesn't work. Not always. I still have editors. Um, but, yes, it does get easier. It does get easier. You know, you talk about um, Stephen King's books and you think about what a brilliant writer he is and how he can really write anything. You know, he's he's known for his horror books, obviously, but he's he's brilliant. And I, I'm interested in reading his book about writing. I've, I've read several books about writing. haven't read that one, but I will definitely put that one on it's my list. It's good. It's a good one. I really admire it, him. Is any it, new uh, author I, I suggest, new, a person jumping into fiction, 
I, I suggest, um, and it's an easy book. It's a fun book to read. He's a funny writer. He's, he's super funny. I follow him on Twitter and he's just, oh my gosh, he's, he's just hilarious. <laughs> so what advice would you give to a person who might be thinking about writing? They have an idea for a book. They don't know what to do with it. What, what steps would you suggest that they take? Um, I think they just start putting things down. Like just, it, it might look like an outline. It might just be a bunch of paragraphs or ideas, but if they think, okay, I think my book would be this, they should just start writing it down and uh, pulling in all the stuff they think would be interesting. Again, if they would write something they would want to read and they have passion for. So if you don't have passion for what you're writing, it shows up. It The lack of passion shows yeah, up in your writing. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, you I've need to be- I've read books like that. Right. <laughs> you need to be in love with this story. So someone else is going to be in love with this story. It's going to come across on the page, but really just some people are outliners. I'm not an outliner. I'm called a pantser. There's plotters and pantsers. It's a pantser. I've never heard you just do it by the seat of your pants. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Although in my head, there's always this storyline. Sure. So I, I read six books about, you know, Budapest and so there's always this storyline. And like I say, it doesn't always end like I think it's going to end. But at least I know where I'm headed with it. Like who's going to die, what's going to happen, blah, that kind of stuff. So I guess I, ha I have to outline a little bit for historical fiction because I can't change history. Sure. Anyway, so people are either pantsers where they throw a bunch of ideas down or they can just start um, outlining. Jeffrey Deaver, another writer I admire yeah. and I've actually had a chance to meet and chat with. Oh, fun. He, he outlines for like three months. He outlines the entire book. I could never do that. Wow. And then he goes back and just fills in all this, you know, fills in the story. Oh my gosh. And you know, then he goes back and he's got a book within six months because he's outlined it for three months. But I don't do that. <laughs> but some people do. <laughs> some people Lots do. of people do. And um, so people will figure out early on, you know, are they a pantser or a plotter. And so, but plotting at first, I think does help if you've never laid out a book. The, one of the biggest things is you need to be a reader. Right. If you're not reading books and you need to read as if you're studying what the writer did. So I no longer can sit down and just probably enjoy a book, maybe 20% enjoy a story and just forget what I'm doing. But I'm, I'm studying the big, the big sellers, like what, what did they do and what, you know, and sometimes I'm, I'm not always so impressed. Yeah, um, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like, it's out there and lots of people are buying it. I also read across genres. I don't just read historical fiction. What I write, I read, I try to read a lot of different things just to see what everybody's writing. Um, but to be a reader first is important. Um, but yeah, put ideas down. Have, and, you, have and you always been a reader? Oh, yes. I started reading. For me, it was a challenge when I was 11 or 12. We'd go to the library. So a little town in upstate New York. My mom would load the little brothers in the wagon and we'd all walk over to the library. I'm talking a town of 300 people. And <laughs> we'd pick our books for the week. And I would try to pick the biggest book I was allowed to bring home and read. And um, yeah, I've always been a reader. That was there wasn't a lot to do in a little town, especially in the summer. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, library I was the place. Yeah. So my, my mom did, and my mom was a big reader. So we always saw her reading. So we were, yeah, big reader family. That's fun. I, I was too. I grew up with a mom who was a reader who loved to learn, really encouraged us to read all kinds of genres and different, you know, poetry and really getting into all the different things. And 
when I was reading, I was, I was trying to read readers with my daughters. You know, I read to them. They see me reading. I think, oh, I'm going to raise a generation of readers. And they didn't. They didn't read. But now <laughs> now they do. Now they're older. My one, one daughter doesn't. She doesn't care. But, but now they're like, oh, mom, you, did you, have you read this book? It's like, yeah, I read it like 20 years ago. <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad you're discovering books now because they're so important in people's lives. <laughs> they when are. People say I, they don't read. I can't even imagine a life without reading. It just blows right. my mind. Right. And so I have a learning center and I see a lot of children who do not love to read. <laughs> so tell me about My goal is to try to figure out how to get them to read. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about your learning center. That's fascinating. Yeah. You can learn. So stands for Utah Center for Advanced Neuroscience Learning Enrichment and Research Network. Came that's out of research. Word. That's a long word. That's why, that's why we call it You Can Learn. <laughs> Smart. Um, yeah, it's the 21st year. So I am oh, a speech wow. therapist by trade, but it's a nonprofit. And our big focus is on um, processing disorders. So if you have auditory processing or visual processing, dyslexia is a processing disorder, you will struggle with learning until we can figure out which one of those we need to enhance. And so a lot of rehab things we do, um, working memory therapy. I still do speech therapy. I do testing for speech therapy. Um, I love it. And so, <laughs> but yeah, a lot, of, a lot of just different testing. Dyslexia is a big one. The state of Utah, um, schools don't test for it. Really? So, no. That so seems that like an obvious because, learning well, disability. If you test for it, then you need to treat it. So don't test for it. Oh, right? that's, that's effective. That's effective. <laughs> well, it's really helped me in my career because that's why I started You Can Learn. <laughs> oh my gosh. I didn't know that. I didn't realize that yeah. they knew there was a problem. They had to fix it. Yes. The federal law says if it's <sighs> identified it. So they don't so do just a lot don't of Just don't identify it. Right. Don't identify it's it. It's not a problem. Uh, no, no, we're going to do something else. Heart. Yeah. And, and you think I, you'd be thinking now, cause we know dyslexia is a lot more common than we ever realized it was. Yeah. You'd think that would be one of the first things they would test for, you know, can you read? Cause you know, the first few years you're learning to read and then the next rest of your life, you're reading to learn. And if you can't read, you, you can't right. learn. Right. Oh, and then you, you learn to do other things. Um, yeah. And right. so that's exactly what I see. So yeah, it's, I, I love it. There's, but there's a lot of frustrated parents. Let's just say that. Oh, I am sure. Oh, that actually breaks my heart. <laughs> I want to go, got to go protest that now. Oh my gosh. I've got a whole list of things I got to protest this month. I'm busy. I'll be right there with you. We'll carry books. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Help our kids read. It's kind of a thing. Oh, that's crazy. So how did you become to love a, a speech therapy? What was your introduction to that? Yeah, I was, um, I actually attended school the first few years back in Northern Pennsylvania, and I was a psychology special ed major. And in my senior year, th my third year, my junior year, a woman came in who'd had uh, her larynx removed, and she had a vocal vibrator, and she was talking in this robotic voice. And a light went off in my head, and I said, wait a minute, I want to help people talk. Like, that's cool. And so I changed gears, moved to Utah, finished my senior year at the University of Utah, got my master's at the University of Utah, and have been a speech therapist ever since. Wow. So I did a lot of rehab. I did home health for 10 years, which is why I wrote Speaking in Tongues, because being in people's homes was way more than speech therapy. 
So explain what that means. What does that mean? It was involve? a whole lot of psychology. Oh, really? <laughs> you're in someone's home and you see all kinds of things like the man who's naked when you walk oh, in, but they don't want him yikes. to be messy that day. You're like, well, can I at least have a napkin to put over him? So I feel like you might be. Can you wear an apron of some sort? Some kind of something. Um, or trying to get past the pit bowl to get in the house oh, or. Wow. The guy who's cleaning his shotgun at the table while you're trying to work with his wife. Yeah, that's Utah. Yeah. Yes. So <laughs> there were, um, I had about 40 or 50 stories I thought I would put together in that speaking in tongues and ended up just barely touching on some of the things that had happened to me. And, but they were all funny. I could make oh, yeah. up anything because I'd seen pretty much anything in 10 years. <laughs> I one time was at a house, first time there, and the lady was, the daughter was very nervous going from window to window. And I said, do I, do I need to know something right now? Because I was working with her mother. And she said, well, my ex-husband called and said he's coming to kill us. Oh, wow. I, wait, wait. When was that phone call? Like, what, when, when did that happen? And did you have time to tell me? Yeah. Yeah. So we might need to do something. And he said, well, I've got the neighbor watching out. Oh, is he a policeman? He's a crossing guard. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> so anyway. He'll smack him with a stop sign. He's got it. He's yeah. Got I'm going to, I'll just knock that gun away. Um, so anyways, I, uh, I just, I just love, love being a speech therapist. It's so much more than being a speech therapist. Uh, I'm sure. Yeah. But you're a counselor, therapist. Especially when someone's had a stroke uh, in a home, it changes the whole dynamic of a home oh. or a massive head injury that everything changes. And that caretaker needs more help many times than the actual person who had the incident happened. That caretaker's wow. life just went upside down. Oh, yeah. And no one's really listening to them about what they're going through. So, yeah, psychology, too. Wow. Good for you. You've done some really great things. What has been your favorite writing moment? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> just one. <laughs> think of it now. <laughs> oh, ah, uh, my favorite writing moment. I think the first time I won a national award. I was just and what was the so award? Uh, for when we were brave, one of the first awards that um, the book won. And which well, I can't remember which was the first oh, one. It has there's like so many. I can't remember all the awards it's won. I think it has five or six now. <laughs> so but cool. uh, the first time I got one, I was like, "Wow! I just won a national award." That's, <laughs> that's gotta be so validating. Yeah. Like, wow, maybe I am a writer. <laughs> maybe someone did like this book. <laughs> <laughs> I think many people have liked your books. Um, like I said, I've read so many good reviews and your writing is really, really powerful. And you really bring us to those places where things are happening and where things happened, you know, bad things happened, you know, showing humanity at its absolute worst. And you think at some point we're going to evolve past that and become better people. And I think, I think I'm going to say most of us are <laughs> I'm going to say maybe 49% maybe, maybe, maybe yeah. more than that. We're I'm hoping it's 51%. Okay, we'll go with 51. Let's be optimistic. Yeah. We're going with 51. So 51% of the world is really trying to do good and be good and and not be these nationalist crazy people. And I think your books have a lot to do with that. I think historical fiction has a lot to do with that, telling the stories, getting the stories out there, having people talking about things that happened. I was talking to um, Sean Newell about racism in Utah and how watching The Watchmen, I had never heard about the Tulsa massacre. 
until I'd right. watched, yeah, until I'd watched The Watchmen. And I was devastated. Like, how did I not know this? Right. And stories are so powerful. That story, I was going to weave that story into it happened in silence. Mm. But while I was writing the book, it came out nationally. I thought, okay, well, I don't need to get to Oklahoma now (laughs) in the book. Cross that off my list. (laughs) I can just stay in Georgia for the story. (laughs) But yeah, how did we not know? Because it happened in silence and I didn't have to do that because it came out during those years, the story, but it was kept hidden. In the Oklahoma history, why talk about it, you know? Right. It was an old thing. We're not going to bring that up again. Yeah, I don't need to rehash all that when I never, ever learned it everywhere. We need to burn our books because they have these terrible things in history in them. (laughs) Don't want to learn nasty stuff. That's no fun. (laughs) You've said this twice now that the idea was out there already. Somebody else was doing it. And I think think ideas are like that. I think they're out there in the ether and they find someone who's receptive to the idea to bring it to life. Do you feel that? I am trying to think of the author who said that. I think it was, uh, was it Liz Gilbert in her yes. Big Magic? Yes. Oh, I love that yes. book. Oh, my gosh. That book was so amazing. And I yes. think it's so true. And so they that. say if an idea comes to you and you don't attach to it and let it live with you, it will leave you and go to someone else yes. who's going to bring. And I do believe that. Yeah. And she had a great example of that where she had an idea, hadn't worked through it. She met with another writer and that yeah. writer left with the idea and she wrote the book and they hadn't talked about right. it at all. And right. I think it's such a coincidence <laughs> that ideas are just floating in the ether and we just have to be receptive and open to what's, what's out there. Right. And I think that's where the passion comes in. Like if, if it speaks to you, you should catch on to it. Yeah. You should embrace it and be the person to tell the story. Yeah. If you're hearing it, you're hearing it for a reason. Right. Yeah. If it, yeah, exactly. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Carla. This has been just love talking to you. Like I said, we've been trying to get together for a while. So glad you're in town. So glad you're available today. Thank you for your insight or any final words of wisdom for writers or readers that you might have. Oh, I think that writers just need to do it. Like you can put it off and put it off. And then one day you're 70. So (laughs) Exactly. How did I get here? I started writing 30 years ago. Um, I decided I wanted to write a book. And I look back at that and it wasn't good. It, the story was still there. Like, that's a good story. Right. I just didn't have the skill, but I could rewrite that book now. And actually, it's probably the next one I'm going to write. It's about the Patan Death March. Oh, that's, um, that's joyful. <laughs> yes, I always have these happy tales. You do. <laughs> death marches. Fun I write about injustice. That's yes, my main you do, thing. Injustice. It needs, to be writ- it needs to be written out. It needs to be told. Yeah. So anyway, I just say start writing and just don't, don't even judge yourself. Just start writing. I love that. And I'm going to start writing. I, you know, it's funny. I, I've written my column for more than 20 years. I've been I'm writing since I was a kid. The idea of writing a book, it just blindsidedly, it kills me. Yeah. <laughs> I, need, I need therapy, but I've known that for a while. Just so. do it. No, do it. One, you say, just tell yourself, I'm just going to write one chapter. Yeah. And then just do that. And then just do that. <laughs> you don't have to know where it's going. I'll eat a box of cookies. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> You don't need to know where it's going. Believe me, because if it goes where you think it's going to go, it's no good. That's, that's true. <laughs> Turn it over to the source. <laughs> well, thank you for your time and thank you for your books. They really are brilliant. And I, I love reading them. I love talking to you and have a great summer. And I hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you so much. Yeah, and thank Have you, a good day. You too. And Bye-bye. thanks for listening, everybody. Join us again on our Life and Laughter podcast. This is Perry, over and out. Do you want more life and laughter? Check out my blog at lnlcoaching.com and find me on Instagram and Facebook at Life and Laughter Coaching. See you again soon.